All right. Well, shalom, everyone. All right. Good. You know Hebrew. Excellent. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I know when we're in heaven, uh, those of us that don't know Hebrew will be wearing those translators, right? Because that's, that's the language that God preaches in. Um, it's a little joke there. All right, well, welcome. It's, it's wonderful to be here with you this morning and just to share with you uh, from God's Word, as well as a little bit about our ministry, our outreach to the Jewish people. Uh, my name is Mike Cohen. I am the L.A. Uh, branch leader, uh, Los Angeles area leader um, for Chosen People Ministries. I just want to tell you a little bit about Chosen People Ministries and then a little bit about our ministry before we, uh, we get started in our, our message this morning. Uh, first is that Chosen People Ministries has been around since 1894, so that would make us 121-year-old outreach to the Jewish people. It's really uh, exciting to be part of uh, that ministry, this ministry, and uh, the founder of the ministry's name is Rabbi Leopold Kohn. So I don't think I'm related to him. He was a Hungarian rabbi who came to faith and then started a, an outreach to the Jewish people in the Holy Land, uh, Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, Chosen People Ministries is probably the oldest outreach to the Jewish people in the United States. And so we've, our heart, our desire is to be everywhere where there's a sizable Jewish population. And our headquarters is in New York City, which is the largest Jewish city on the planet. And uh, I have the privilege of being out in Los Angeles, which is the fourth largest Jewish city on the planet. New York City has 2 million Jewish people. We uh, in Los Angeles have over 600,000. That makes us tied with Jerusalem. And Los Angeles is an amazing city with, uh, I'm, I know, am I allowed to say that here in Northern California? Uh, it's an important city for us as believers, I think, because it is an influential city, and it is important for the gospel to be preached in Los Angeles to the over three million people. And so I, I have that privilege when I go out and share, and I, I do believe that my gifting is primarily in evangelism. Uh, I love to evangelize since I've been a believer uh, in Jesus now for 23 years. Uh, I one of Where I feel most comfortable is sharing the, the gospel and in Los Angeles, we have a number of different colleges and universities, um, USC, University of Southern California. Growing up, I never liked USC. We always used to call it the University of Spoiled Children. Um, I'm sorry if you're from USC, but now I do. Now, you know, it's interesting how, how God does that, because now I really have a heart uh, for that campus. Uh, it's a campus that uh, has an incredible network, and if you graduate from USC, uh, Basically, it's, if you're going to stay in Los Angeles and you can go to USC, you want to go there because it has an incredible network. Uh, it's a very influential campus, has a film school, um, music, uh, philosophy, etc. And so this year, uh, I've had the privilege of partnering with a, another missionary, a mission, a ministry, and uh, I've been going out and ministering on campus basically just getting to walk the campus and talk to people about Jesus, sharing the gospel. And you can be praying for us. Our heart is to start a small group, to start a Bible study, a fellowship, reach out to the Jewish people. There's about 3,000, maybe a little less than 3,000 Jewish people at USC. And so it's roughly 10% of the community. And so when I go out witnessing, 
uh, at USC with um, me and my team, uh, we're not just witnessing to Jewish people, we're witnessing to all different types of people. Los, USC is really a microcosm for Los Angeles, and so in the same way LA has um, over a hundred different cultures, ethnicities, religious background, people of religious background, so does USC. So I get the privilege of sharing, ministering, uh, just about eight to nine out of ten out of every people that I share with on campus uh, is not Jewish. And so I'm, I'm a missionary to the Jewish people, but I'm also a missionary to the nations as well. And I think that that's, especially outside of Israel, uh, that's really, I, I believe, the way God had intended, that when we go looking for Jewish people all over the world, because Jewish people are scattered all over the world, uh, we end up witnessing to all different types of people. And that's true, really, for Chosen People Ministries. We're in over 16 countries um, outside of Israel. We have a very large presence, praise the Lord, in, in Israel, the true Holy Land, right? But we're also in other countries, and so our message is going out uh, to different people groups, and we're getting wonderful responses. And so when you, when you pray for us, when you support us, you're supporting uh, the gospel message going out, and going out in creative ways. We're, we're using the internet. If you're interested in part of the way, you know, one of the ways that we share the, the gospel, you can, uh, after today if you want, uh, if you feel so uh, inclined, you can go to Isaiah53.com. Isaiah53.com is our website, and we want to drive people to that website, Jewish people as well as non-Jews. We, we send out Internet ads uh, through Google, Facebook. We used to do it through TV and radio and, and billboards, but we found it's more effective to go through the Internet. And when we drive people to the website, and, and people see an ad, something just like this, Isaiah 53, this chapter will change your life. And whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, you see a statement like that, you're searching, um, you're, you're, you're looking for meaning and purpose, and you see a statement like that, you're drawn. And we're getting thousands of contacts from Jews and non-Jews, and we're also getting believers who want to help and participate and learn how to witness to their Jewish friends, as well as really to, to a postmodern culture. I mean, really, our culture doesn't know the Bible anymore. Since the early 60s, the scriptures were removed from the public school from the, and, and progressively being moved out of the public domain. Uh, our culture does not know the Bible. And you really, you and I are really the only Bible that most people will ever see or hear. And so we are also training up people to share the good news, share the gospel with their Jewish friends and their neighbors. And when people come to the website... Uh, they have an opportunity to receive this book as a gift. And so today, if you are, want to, if you believe God is moving you to, to partner with us, the back table where my son Isaac, he's uh, actually I have five boys, and he's uh, number three. So, um, and he's uh, with me today. It's, it's great to have him uh, here. If you would like to uh, partner with us, you can go ahead and fill out one of the slips at the table, your name, address, Phone number, email. Phone number and email is really important. You go ahead and do that. You'll receive this book, Isaiah 53 Explained, as a gift for you. Uh, if you just want the book, it's $10. But if you want it as a gift, uh, please go ahead and sign up. You'll receive my monthly prayer letter as well as the international newsletter for Chosen People Ministries. And then periodically I send out email newsletters as well 
about what's going on on a more timely basis. We really do appreciate your prayers. It's really important. Uh, as I go through the passage today, you'll see that Paul really do, uh, dedicates uh, his ministry to prayer as well. It's very important. The Jewish people, and really our culture, I mean, there is a lot of similar, similarities between the Jewish people and our culture today. Uh, a people that, believe it or not, doesn't really know the Bible. I mean, you'd be surprised. Like, Jewish people, they should know the Bible. I grew up in Hebrew school, eight years in Hebrew school. It was bar mitzvah, and I graduated not knowing the Bible. And our culture, our quote-unquote Christian nation, you'd think they'd know the Bible. You'd think people would really know what's in there. They don't know the Bible. And so uh, we need to get the Bible back out into the hands of our neighbors, our fellow countrymen, the Jewish people, people in different cults who have a wrong thinking about the scriptures. And so we all have an important role to play. And uh, this book, Isaiah 53 Explained, I believe will help you in communicating uh, the good news. Because Messianic prophecy, that's really what Isaiah 53 is. It's the most important or most powerful Messianic prophecy in the entire Hebrew scriptures. And it shows the life and ministry of the Messiah of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, 700 years before he was born. And so Messianic prophecy, uh, being able to show how the Bible predicts things in the future, and especially the work and ministry of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, is a powerful witnessing tool. And so if you're interested in uh, supporting or partnering with our ministry, you can sign up uh, for it today, the slip today, receive the book, uh, be a prayer partner, and um, again, and even a financial partner if that's how God calls you. Of course, we don't want you to give anything that you've already designated. I'm not here to compete with any other ministry. It's, it's only if God has, has put that burden on your heart. Um, also, again, you'll be supporting um, an evangelist out in the field sharing the gospel and periodically uh, reporting uh, different incidents and episodes of how that's going in, uh, in L.A., in Los Angeles. Okay, also, one last thing, at the literature table, there's other books and resources for you as well, and you can look at them. And if you have any questions after the message, I'll be available to you as well. Well, let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Abba, Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord God. We thank you for the scriptures. Lord, I'm, I'm always amazed at how you have preserved your word and how here in America we have so many different translations in English. We have the opportunity, Lord God, to, to obtain your scriptures so easily. I pray, Lord God, that we would be consistent and diligent in your word. I pray, Lord God, that we would have understanding that you, would, that you have, I thank you, you have given us the mind of Messiah, the mind of Christ. And because of that, we can know you through your word. We can know you through prayer, and we can preach and proclaim your truths to our, to our world that is so in the domain of darkness and needs, Lord, your light, the light of men and women. And Father, I pray for the persecuted church. I pray, Lord God, for our persecuted brothers and sisters. I pray their testimony would remain true and firm and that their, your, your witness would go out through them. And I pray, Lord God, their captors would come to faith and the false ideologies and philosophies and religions that enslave them would be 
broken and, and the walls would come down. And I pray, Lord God, for the fullness of the nations. I pray, Lord God, for those ministries. I know those ministries, Lord. They're good ministries that are taking your truth all over the world. And I pray, Lord, for them. I pray, Lord God, that they would just continue to be funded and prayed for and, and that prayer would break down the walls before them and your Holy Spirit would continue. And I thank you that he does. Go before uh, the missionaries that are taking your good news to the, to the nations. And I pray, Lord God, for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray, Lord God, for the Jewish people. I pray, Lord God, that you would remove the veil from their eyes and that they would see the truth and know that you and you alone, Jesus, are the way to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I remember when I first got saved, as I said, 23 years ago, I, I was just in shock. It was a major radical paradigm shift uh, for my life to, to believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. I had never learned the things that were told to me during that season of investigation were things I had never heard of, things that maybe are common knowledge to you, like Jesus is Jewish. I had no idea that Jesus was Jewish, none. I was shocked. I thought he was Catholic, <laughs> maybe Baptist, possibly non-denominational, but never Jewish. And so when I learned reading the scriptures and seeing the Messianic prophecies that point to his genealogy, that he's a Jewish man. It wasn't that I was ignorant. I just never thought about it. And, and there are some Jewish people today that know that Jesus is Jewish, but I didn't. I didn't know that he was the promised Messiah. I didn't know that he fulfilled Messianic prophecy. I didn't know that his disciples, those that he called into to a, a three- to four-year relationship with him, were Jewish. The early followers were Jewish. I didn't know that the New Testament, a forbidden book for the Jewish people, is a Jewish book. I didn't know these things. And so when I learned them, I was just so impressed and so amazed that I couldn't contain myself, and I just ran to tell as many of my friends, Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, uh, that's really what Gentiles means, is, is just a non-Jewish person. It means nations. And I, I just went and told them, look, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. We can know God. We can have a relationship with him. All of the pain and suffering, the darkness, the despair, it's all gone when you believe in him. And the response I got from, the, from my Jewish friends especially which, and, and family, which I thought they would be like, wow, we didn't know this either. This is great news. Let's all just believe and and you know we'll have a prayer study bible you know right in our home and you know because i was the baby of the family and i figured you know they would do it better than me anyway so it'd be like once i told them i'd be done and they'd lead and it'd be great and they just looked at me like i was crazy like i was a traitor you're just insane i remember one family member said you really believe he rose from the dead like, are you really, like, have you lost your mind? I mean, you went to college, you, you studied science. How could you believe that? And I was like, yes, I do believe. And if you only believe too, it would be great. And here's what, stop. You know, don't want to hear it. Not interested. Now, the good news is that my brother, about three months later, came to faith. There's three siblings. I have an older sister, older brother, and myself. He came to faith. So God was gracious to me. 
my sister is warming up. Uh, my parents and I, we, we have a good relationship today, uh, 23 years later uh, with our grandchildren and, and uh, vacations and things like that, but still um, a veil. And it brings me sorrow, sadness, because to me, the evidence for Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, God the Son, who is the, the only way to heaven, who brings abundant life, whose Lord is so overwhelming. And a lot of people don't even want to hear it. And I think that that's really where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote the letter to the Romans, and especially Romans 9, 10, and 11. I think he was in a similar place where he, when he realized finally that Jesus was the Messiah and he was hoping that and excited about telling people, and especially his people, even though he was the apostle to the nations, he never gave up on the Jewish people. We're going to see that. That was, he was, there was just great sorrow for him. Let's look at Romans chapter 9. We'll start at verse 1, and we'll see his heart really on display. I am telling the truth in Messiah, Christ. Messiah means Christ. That was another thing I didn't know. Now, again, I was the baby of the family, so I'm sure there was a lot of things I was missing. But <laughs> not all Jewish people are as ignorant as, as I was, but I didn't know that Messiah uh, and Christ were the same word. And I think a lot of Jewish people, when we just say, instead of saying Jesus Christ, if we say Jesus the Messiah or Messiah Jesus, we, we eliminate an objection. We, we bring the knowledge of him a little bit closer. See, our witness doesn't have to be so complicated. It's just, it starts with vocabulary. It starts with vocabulary. It starts with basic truths. Like, he's Jewish. Christ means Messiah. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Messiah for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. And so Paul's revealing to the Roman church. And I, I think that this really is a, a really a prophetic message. It's not just for the Roman church, which I believe was primarily non-Jewish or a Gentile church, but it was really for the church today, the church throughout the ages, which would become increasingly more non-Jewish. Today, only one person, there's 15 million Jewish people, less than 1% of the Jewish people believe that Jesus is the Messiah, roughly 150,000 of a church that could be anywhere from you know, 1.5 to 2 billion, you know, depending upon how you calculate, or as low as 700 million, but basically increasingly non-Jewish. And I think this message really is for the non-Jewish part of the church, the whole church, of course, I mean, the whole book is just an incredible treatise on our faith and how we have uh, righteousness and salvation. But this part, I think, is a reminder to the Roman church, to, to the nations that are going to come in and believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What are we to do with ethnic Israel? What are we to do with the Jewish people? And Paul has increasingly sorrow. Because he just finishes Romans chapter 8 by saying that nothing 
I'll just kind of summarize the last couple of verses in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, again, the final sort of section of the great treatise on salvation and the love of God. And he says, nothing will separate us from the love of God for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. He starts out Romans chapter 8 by saying, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Jesus or Jesus Christ. And here he is now talking about the Jewish people separated from God, separated from his love, separated from his righteousness, separated from eternal life. And he's saying, I have great sorrow in my heart. And I I think he's really hoping that we all would. These Israelites, who are the Israelites? He goes on to say, who are the Israelites? To whom belongs the adoptions, his son, sons, and the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the Torah, and the temple services, and the promises, who are the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from whom is the Messiah according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. And so he basically says the Israelites are no small thing. The Israelites are the people in whom God first chose to reveal himself, the knowledge of who he is, to the nations. I mean, in some respects, he's saying they had your... what. Your job is going to be. They were the people in whom God called first by one man, Abraham, out of pagan Babylon, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and into a promise, a covenant promise, and said basically, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then from Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob, through the promises of God, first to Isaac, then to Jacob, then to a whole nation. He brought that nation out of Egypt, out of bondage. And we see that through the deliverance, we see a a picture of how deliverance comes by the blood of a lamb, through the power of God, and into his presence, really. I mean, to sort of make a, a... To give a a summary, when they were in the wilderness, they were in his presence, the cloud by day, the fire by night. They received the law, the instructions. The word of God came through the Jewish people. The fathers, again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the foundation of our faith and who we are. We know Messiah because of these people, the Israelites, my people, according to the flesh, my kinsmen. I think he makes that distinction because, of course, he calls the fellow believer his brethren by the Spirit through Messiah, but these are his kinsmen, according to the flesh. They had the adoption, they were adoption. God calls the Israelites in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. He says to Moses, go and save my firstborn. He, he, these are his, this is his nation. And through these people came Messiah, Jesus Our Lord came through the Jewish people. He is Jewish. And through him, we are, we, both me, a believer, I'm connected through the Jewish people two ways, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and through the Messiah. And you're connected to the Jewish people through the Messiah and through me. You're connected to him to the Jewish people because Jesus is Jewish and you believe in Jesus and you are in Christ when you put your trust and your faith in him. And your identity now is in Christ. He gives you a new identity and that identity has Jewish heritage to it. 
And Jewish believers throughout the ages have maintained a visible, we're the visible testimony or witness to that part of Jesus, that Jewish part of Jesus. And so we also connect the body, the Gentile part, back to the ethnic part. And so the church made a great mistake when in the 3rd and 4th century, the 4th, I always get those numbers, around 321, uh, when, but really 400 A.D., when Theodosian basically made it illegal to be Jewish and believe in Jesus when he outlawed circumcision, Shabbat, and uh, kosher. And I understand why he did it to some degree. People were getting confused. They thought their righteousness was coming by works of the law, and that's, of course, not where it comes from. It comes by faith in Christ and Jesus. But when we eliminate, when we forget our roots, last night we talked about the Feast of Israel. When the church forgets its heritage, forgets God's purposes and plans, we, we cut off a little part of ourselves. I mean, you can see it today. It's kind of cool. All these people going to Ancestry.com, and I think the other one's Genie.com or G-E-N-I, or, you know, .com, people wanting to look at their ancestry. It makes us whole. We understand God a little bit more his purposes, his plans, his character, through how he ministered and worked with the Jewish people. And even to this point, the apostle of the Gentiles, a Jewish man who still has a heart for the Jewish people. And so we as his church, what is the church? The church is the remnant of Israel, which we'll see in a moment, and it is the Gentile nations together. We as his body, we also... We also recognize how important it is to remember Israel and whom God worked through, ethnic Israel, the Jewish people. For even if it's only because God still loves them, which we'll see in just a moment. Let's look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul says in Romans 9, he says that, that he wishes he were accursed. But in Romans 10, verse 1, he sort of gives us the practical response. Not separation, but prayer. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. That really is my prayer, and I hope that's your prayer too. We're going to see in Romans chapter 11 that the church gets stronger when more Jewish people believe in Jesus, not weaker. We don't have to be afraid and go, oh no, we have to be careful. We don't want to witness to too many Jewish people because if they come to believe in Jesus, they're going to want to make uh, the day of uh, worship Saturday. Or they're going to want to stop eating pork, God forbid. (laughs) No, it has nothing to do with that. We're going to see that it makes it stronger because God in his sovereign purposes actually strengthens and grows the church. He magnifies it through their salvation. But before we get there, we have to pray. We have to cultivate that heart. We have to know our roots. We have to know what we believe, and we have to remember God's people. We have to have gratitude. God is a God of thanksgiving. He's a God that likes to see gratitude expressed to him for salvation, but also to his first nation for the role they played. 
Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for their salvation. So let us remember to pray for the Jewish people. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. And let me tell you, they have a zeal for God. A works-based righteousness like you have never seen. Even those of you who maybe grew up, maybe some of you grew up in a, in a cult, so you would probably understand and relate to. But it is second to none. There may be some that are on par. You know, I don't want to diminish anybody's testimony, but I want to say that uh, if you go to Williamsburg in Brooklyn or you go to the Western or Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, you will see people dressed in black on a hot August day probably close to 100 degrees with New York City with uh, the humidity up around 90% and uh, hair curls and black hats and, and basically waking up at the crack of dawn and washing their hands to begin their day and praying throughout the day and, and praying actually three times a day and eating food on separate dishes, one for meat, one for cheese, and then having separate uh, containers for them and periodically baptizing those dishes in order to maintain uh, their cleanliness. And so you just see people who are steeped. And according to Jewish tradition, there aren't 10 commandments, there are 613. And so there is a great zeal. And on Shabbat, which is supposed to be a day of rest, which is supposed to be made uh, for uh, for us to relax and, and to appreciate God, uh, it's even double. We're no cooking, cleaning, walking, uh, driving, I should say. Just basically praying to God and following even more uh, commandments. So they have a zeal for God because their righteousness is based on works. He goes on to say in verse 10, A zeal for God, but not in accordance to knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the end of the law, the Torah, for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is such a dramatic statement. And we, as the body of Messiah, we should underline it a hundred times. Messiah is the end of the Torah for righteousness. And really, that is the great gift of the, the Gentile church. The gift of the remnant part of the church is God's faithfulness. That even though there's a people that have rejected God's instruction or God's way for righteousness and have established their own, which is what Paul says here, that that's really what the Jewish people did. That's their, their great transgression is they saw the Messiah. He fulfilled Messianic prophecy. He died for their sins on the cross. He rose from the dead. There were Jewish men uh, good men who testified to that truth, who testified to that truth in the temple, excuse me, who testified to that truth in the temple, who testified to that truth to their death. They testified and they rejected that. Why? You want to get into a big argument with a Jewish person? You can say Jesus is the Messiah. That's good. That helps clarify things, but that won't get you into a big argument with a Jewish person. What gets you into an argument with a Jewish person is if you say, Jesus is the way to righteousness. Faith righteousness is the big, through Christ, through Jesus, through the Messiah. That's where the rubber hits the road. 
And that's really what the Gentile church is the witness to. And that's the primary means by which you will ultimately provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. If you go back to Romans chapter 9, he says in verse 30, What shall we say then that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained it by faith? But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. It's not just sitting down and showing that Jesus fulfilled Messianic prophecy, but it's saying that Jesus is the only way, that faith in him is the means that I have righteousness. I was witnessing to a Jewish man once, and that was his argument. Yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. You know, okay. But I don't need anybody to be my savior. I don't need anybody to die for my sins. I can handle my own sins. And God just, he has to accept me and my works. There's a, there's a pride there. I'm not saying all Jewish people are like that, but he was very clear in where he was at. And, and not just Jewish people. Just about every system, whether it's a secular system or Hinduism or excuse me, Islam or some cult out there, they're all based on a works-based righteousness. They're all based on pride. If you look back at Leviticus, put a, a bookmark here and turn back to Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 27. I know, he's going into Leviticus. It's okay. I promise it won't hurt. We're going to go into... Uh, it's a very powerful, important book. At the very least, it details our inability uh, to satisfy the law. Even if we could satisfy the law, the instructions we couldn't because the temple's been destroyed for 70 AD. I mean, that's really all you have to That's the, the starting point and the ending point. How are you going to do all these sacrifices? You can't. Uh, no matter how orthodox you are as a Jewish person, you have basically changed God's prescription. <coughs> Because in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. And according to Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, the blood, uh, upon the altar to make atonement, forgiveness, payment for your souls. For it is only by reason of the blood that one makes atonement for one's soul. And so it's only by blood atonement. And when the temple was destroyed, there's no more blood atonement except through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and trust and faith in, in him. So Leviticus 4, 27, 31 really lays out God's plan of salvation before the manger. It says, now if any one of the common people, that's you and me, common people, sins unintentionally in doing any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and so unintentional sins, you just made a mistake, you, you didn't mean to, you weren't planning it, uh, you messed up. If his sin which he has committed is made known to him, then he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without defect, for his sin which he has committed. He shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering, which is the doorway to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. He shall, slay his, he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slay his sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Verse 30, the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and the rest of its blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar. Then 
He shall remove all of its fat, just as the fat was removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke as on the altar for a soothing aroma to the Lord. That may be where all the angels in heaven rejoice because, you know, in the same way there's a soothing offering go up at the sin offering. There's a, a soothing offering going up when we repent. It may be from there. Thus the priest shall make atonement, atonement, payment for him, and he will be forgiven. That's substitutionary atonement in a nutshell. That is what Jesus satisfied at the cross. The end of the law is for righteousness. The end of this law is Christ. And the Gentile church that had no understanding of the law. I'm not talking about today where we grow up in, in, with the Bible and we grow up in Christian homes. I'm talking about before Jesus, just out there, pagan, rebellious, didn't know about the Torah, didn't know about the way, you know, there was a few Gentiles out there like Ruth that because the Jewish people disobeyed or did, you know, went off into Moab and then they would... Um, They'd find some, some Gentiles and they would see or they, the Gentiles would hear some of them like Rahab. They'd hear about the, the amazing things that God did and they would come and wander in. Uh, but apart from them who learned the law that way, uh, people who had no understanding of the law, no concept. And then they came to faith by God's grace through a messenger like Paul by faith. Not by works, not by becoming Jews, but by becoming followers. That is, that is the knowledge that the Gentile church brings to the Jewish people. That it is, it is righteousness based on faith. And, and I, of course, bring that testimony too, but it's a little harder for me because I bring it kind of as a traitor. Like, you knew the law and you didn't follow it. You had this inheritance and you didn't follow it. So really, what I bring back to the Gentile world is God's faithfulness. So to some degree, I know it seems kind of counterintuitive, like I'm supposed to be the missionary of the Jewish people, but really, yeah, I have a testimony of the Jewish people for sure, and I'm important in Jewish evangelism and missions, but I'm also important to the church because I remind the church at large of God's faithfulness. And the church at large reminds the Jewish people it's not by works, it's by faith. And so it's important for us to not get caught up. When we witness the Jewish people, when we bring in a Messianic community, we have our convictions, but those convictions are not about righteousness. They're about testimony. And so, going back to Romans 10, we pray for the Jewish people, and we preach to the Jewish people that it is a works-based, or is a faith, a righteousness based on faith, not on works. Which brings us to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Some of this I've already covered, but we'll have a little review here. And it's already been read, but I'd like to read it again. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected whom he foreknew. This is really, I think, critical because we need to get our verbiage correct. It's not that God rejected the Jewish people. It's that the Jewish people, and specifically the leadership, rejected Jesus. 
So God is not, the Jewish people, whatever state they're in, whatever struggle they're going through, whatever good times, bad times, it is not because God has rejected them. It is because they rejected God through his Messiah. Do they have a zeal for God? Yes, the Bible is true, and it's still true today. They have an incredible zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. We can't get confused in that. That zeal can sometimes work in our favor. When I'm out witnessing to Jewish people, uh, many Jewish people, you know, some, I shouldn't say many, but some Orthodox especially, they, they know some of the word, and we can get right in to the scriptures. And I'm just praying that God removes the veil. And so I actually will preach Jesus. Yeah, I preach from the Hebrew Bible, but I'll preach the resurrection. I'll preach those passages about the resurrection because it says in 1 Corinthians 3.15, it says when Jesus is lifted up, the veil is removed. And so I won't hide from the message of Jesus. I'll bring in the Messianic prophecies and I'll show how Jesus fulfilled them. I'll show how Jesus brings us salvation. I'll talk about the destruction of the temple. I'll talk about the resurrection. I want Jewish people to know that Jesus is the center of not just my universe, but this universe. And so it is important for us to realize, and, and when we realize that, we realize that the depth of the tragedy, I think. When we realize that Jewish people rejected their God, we realize the depth of the tragedy. And I hope that it makes us more and more like Romans 9 that we read, and it makes us act more like Romans 10, the prayer. So, so really, because if we reverse it, which is what the church has done historically, sadly, the church historically has said these people are cursed, especially in the Middle Ages, when the church basically ran everything, ran the show, said these people are cursed, they're rejected of God, and we're replacing them as the new Israel. And so because of that, quote-unquote, replacement theology, the church has neglected its responsibility to the Jewish people, which is first and foremost to pray for them. Second, I do think it is to embrace the remnant, to embrace Jewish believers, uh, to embrace them in, again as a recognition of God's faithfulness to his people, that he has not rejected them. And also as a means, as a conduit to reminding us of our Jewish roots and really a link back. Remember, through Messiah... And through the Jewish believer, we are not distant from the Jewish people. We are brought close and actually engrafted into Israel. And so we really are not just brothers and sisters with one another, but, you know, and, and you know, kind of hear my heart here, but we are, we are in community at the very least and, and really family members to some degree with the Jewish people because we have the same heritage, same heritage. And so Romans 11, we are reminded that God has not rejected his people. And I'm just going to skip down to verse 5. In the same way, then, he has come to be at the present time, there has come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. And, but if by grace it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. I think the first thing we need to realize here is that there is a remnant, that God has always preserved a remnant, and right now that remnant is about 1%. But it's also important to realize that in the same way, the same manner that Gentiles come to faith, the remnant comes to faith too. You don't come to faith by 
grace through faith, and I'm coming to faith by works. We both come to faith the same way. If you'll skip back to Romans 10, uh, verse 9, Romans 10, 9, Paul says, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And so we see that, conf- that heart belief renders us righteousness. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all to call on him. For whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. It is the same way. For remnant Jew, remnant Israelite like myself, or engrafted Israelite to some degree like yourself, or ethnic Israelite. It's all the same way. We all come to faith. We all come to a place of relationship and salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, in Jesus the Messiah. And so that is our testimony. And that testimony, I believe, is the testimony that ultimately will bring Jewish people to faith. Romans eleven eleven. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fail, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the nations to make them jealous. And so what is our heart today? Is our heart a heart of, of recognizing that there is a tragedy and that tragedy is that the Jewish nation has rejected their Messiah? Yes, I hope that is true. Is our heart today a recognition that God has not rejected his people and that they still can be saved? Yes, and so we need to pray for them. And our heart today, is it a recognition that God is faithful to Israel and that the prayers of the saints throughout the generations has brought Jewish people to salvation? Yes, there is a remnant to this very day, and and I get the privilege of of being a, a visible testimony of that remnant. Just like Paul, both of my parents, Jewish, of the tribe of Levi, the line of Aaron, at least I think so. My last name's Cohen, which means priest. So uh, although I please don't ask me to handle the meat later because I just get a little woozy <laughs> around blood. And so, so, yes, all these things, but even more than just a heart recognizing the tragedy or a lips of prayer or a thankfulness to God for his faithfulness, but also a role to play. And that role is to provoke Jewish people to jealousy. And I've already alluded to this, that that is to show them that it is not by works, that the burden that is weighing them down can be lifted. I was witnessing to a, to a Jewish man at USC, a Jewish student. He was an international student from Australia. So he spoke English so we could sort of communicate. They sort of speak English down there. And as I was talking to him, uh, he said, yeah, I, I, was, I don't believe in God, but I once did. I was Orthodox. And I said, what happened? He just said, you know, one day I just stopped doing this, and the next day I stopped doing that, and the next day I stopped doing this until I was no longer Orthodox. Because the burden of Orthodoxy was just too great. And really in my own mind, when I was searching, I looked at Orthodox Judaism. I looked at the rules and the regulations and the rituals of the, of the rabbis, and I thought about them for myself, and I even tried. But you know what? And those of you who know me, I'm just not organized enough. I'm not disciplined enough. I can't do it. And I knew I was always letting God down if that was the means by which um, salvation came. 
And so I just felt like a failure. And I think to some degree this young man did as well. The blessing is, is that I was able to get his contact and that he has messianic friends and God is reaching out to him. And so his name is Jacob and you can be praying if you remember to pray for Jacob that he would come to faith because he's, he gets it halfway. And so hopefully between your continued provoking him to jealousy and the remnant's testimony that you can be Jewish and believe in Jesus will ultimately bring him uh, to salvation. And so the first thing is that we, that our job is to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. Verse 12, he goes on to say, Now if their transgression is riches for the world, and that's really true because the Jewish people rejected Jesus, it went to the nations and it keeps going to the nations. And as it goes to the nations, it goes to the Jewish people in those nations. How much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles. I mag- So here, let me just pause there. So here we have a man, Jewish man, who loves the Jewish people so much that he would trade in his salvation for their salvation, who is requesting the Roman church to be in prayer for them, and who now admits that he's not, his first primary ministry is not even to the Jewish people. I mean, if you, if up until that moment, you could say, well, you know, this Paul guy, he's a missionary to the Jewish people. You know, he's in the Roman church. Roman church is a very powerful church, even at this time. It makes sense that he would, you know, want to tell people about the Jewish people and to witness the Jewish people because he's trying to build up his ministry. But he then admits, that's not even my primary ministry. I think he says in Galatians, he says, actually, that is the primary ministry of James, uh, Peter, and John. My primary ministry is to the Gentiles. I mean, that is awesome. That here's a guy whose primary ministry is not as a Jewish missionary, and yet he is requesting this amount of devotion for himself and for others on behalf of another ministry. You know, whenever somebody gets up, and talks about a ministry that they are not uh, personally a part of, but support, it's always stronger, right? In, in terms of, wow, this guy's really doing all this, really as a volunteer. And so in, in some respect, Paul is doing all of uh, this as a volunteer, because it's really just the outflow of his heart. And so he says, he says, but as much as I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, and as much my ministry, excuse me, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. And so he's basically saying that if I save some Jewish people over here, my ministry to the Gentiles gets saved, increases. And really, so what he's saying is, my ministry to the Jewish people is here, and my ministry to the Gentiles is here. They work hand in hand. As I save some Jewish people, my ministry to the Gentiles grows. As my ministry to the Gentiles grows, what are Gentiles who are being discipled by Paul going to do? They're going to provoke Jewish people to jealousy. And so theoretically, more Jews are going to get saved. As more Jewish people get saved, what are they going to do? They know that their, that their Messiah is not only for the remnant of Jacob, according to Isaiah 49, verse 6, but he is a light to the nations. So he's going, they're going to be like Paul, and they're going to also talk to Gentiles and God-fearers. 
And so we see this beautiful, beautiful cycle. And really, the plan of God. You know, so often we see that, you know, the Jewish church is here, the Gentile church is here, never the two shall meet. But really, it's not supposed to be that way. God came, he brought down the middle wall of separation, and they really are to work together. That's why, uh, as I said earlier, I, I like being a missionary in L.A. because I get to minister to Jews and Gentiles. I get to minister and show the faithfulness of God to the Gentiles and also uh, reveal that, reveal um, the truth about faith righteousness. And they're a lot more open to faith righteousness. But to the Jewish people, and, and when they come to faith and disciple, I, I talked about provoking Jewish people to jealousy. And to the Jewish people, of course, I know how to speak their language, their vocabulary. I know how to um, witness to them from the Hebrew Bible. I know how to talk to them about their history, their culture. And so I can connect with them on a heart level. And so I have a great opportunity. But I see them both working together. And I see a synergy. And Paul saw that. And I hope you do too as well. Because in Romans eleven twenty five it says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel, national Israel, until the fullness of the nations has come in. And so this cycle is going to keep happening until the fullness of the nations come in. But I want you to realize, and I think this is the mistake, when I first got saved, I remember going to, because again, remember, when I, I got saved, I, I have it, I, I shared this earlier, my gift, my heart is really evangelism. That's number one. I still get a little nervous when I witness to people. It's not like I'm just like this raging lion or anything like that. But I love, I love evangelism. I love witnessing. And so I would go to these conferences, and it would always be like, we've got to reach all the ethnicities. You know, and they'd write down, there's 3,000, and this was back in 1993. By the year 2000, we're going to reach every ethnicity. And amen. But they kind of just separated out here. And so 2000 rolled around, and we hadn't reached all the ethnicities, or maybe we did, but, you know, nothing had happened. It'd be like, and the Lord's going to return once we get all the nations in. But I think now people are starting to see the connection. Yes, we're going to reach every ethnicity. We're going to share with them. But we're also going to, I believe, do that in connection with the Jewish people. Because he says, until the fullness of the nations come in, and all Israel will be saved. As we continue to minister to the nations, Jewish people come to faith. Or as we continue to minister to the Jewish people, the nations come to faith. There's a mag- you know, the nations get magnified. And then as the nations get magnified and we remind them of the Jewish people and the tragedy of the Jewish leadership's rejection, then they'll provoke Jewish people to jealousy and Jewish people will come to faith. As Jewish people come to faith, some of them will be like me, evangelists, missionaries like Paul and Peter. Some of them will be teachers, but they will also bring joy to the body because they will remind the Gentiles of the faithfulness of God and to inspire through their faith, through God's faithfulness, the ministry of reconciliation. They will enhance our faith until that synergy will bring all the nations in, the fullness of the nations, and then all Israel will be saved. As it says in Romans eleven twenty six. all Israel will be saved. 
And I am sure that as that enthusiasm grows and more Jewish people come to faith and more Gentiles come to faith, that there will be more opposition and more hostility and more persecution. Persecution grows when the church grows. Persecution grows when the church is doing its job, when the church is preaching and witnessing. When we're not and we're shrinking back, it doesn't. But when the light shines brighter, the darkness gets uh, less dark and they get, it gets upset. The domain of darkness governed by Satan doesn't give up without a fight. And so there will be tribulation. But there will be tribulation, and during that time of tribulation, there will be people coming to faith. And so I say this to say, let's be inspired. Let's remember that we work together, that it's not this is better than this, that it's really a powerful synergy when we remember our responsibility to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy, and we also remember that when we do that, that we magnify the ministry to the nations. They work hand in hand. And so I want to thank you so much for allowing me to come here today to share with you from God's Word, uh, to talk to you a little bit about uh, our outreach down in Los Angeles and really all over the world. We are at Chosen People Ministries continually looking for opportunities to plant new outreaches in different countries and really fulfill uh, this great plan of God to encourage the body of Messiah to be a testimony to the Jewish people, and ultimately to disciple people and see them come to faith.